Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. So have you made your New Year's resolution yet? Do you know what it is? Anybody want to share publicly with the whole group? I'll share mine. Mine is I want to lose 15 pounds. See, I need to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm on a diet. Julie is helping me this time. That always ups the chance for success. If you can convince your wife to go on a diet with you, fantastic. We're doing that. And did you know that the number one most common New Year's resolution, anybody want to guess before I say it out loud? Lose weight, get healthy, anything in that realm. Number one, by double any other New Year's resolution. It's, it's more than double as, as popular as number two. But do you know what number two is? <laughs> there is one of those. I think it's number five, actually. Make more, spend less. That's one of it. Number two, take a look at your crosswalk notes. Get my life organized. Get my life organized. I need to get my life organized. Last year, 33 million Google searches were something along the order of how can I get my life organized? Isn't that amazing? More than 10% of our entire population wants their life to get more organized. And I'm guessing that that number is not any lower this year. And so we thought to ourselves, why don't we talk about that? Why don't we talk about how do we, what's God's plan? As Christians, if I were to be talking to Jesus, what would he say to me about getting my life in order or you getting your life in order? And interestingly enough, This is something that you kind of have to collect on your way, journeying through the Bible. There's no Bible verse that Jesus answers the question. Stephen talked about a, a young man who came up and asked Jesus a question. What must I do to be saved? The rich young ruler. There's no one that comes up to Jesus and says, by the way, Jesus, I've made a New Year's resolution. I want to get my life in order. And then Jesus gives them the answer. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a person whose faith life was in order. Because as you look through the seven top things that, that people want to resolve on during the New Year's, the New Year's resolutions, the top seven in the millions of people, there's none listed there for spiritual life. Isn't that interesting? Not one of the top seven has anything to do with spiritual life. But what, what I'm going to argue today is that if, if we can learn from Jesus how to put our spiritual life in order, everything else will flow from that. Have you ever heard of the word keystone habit? Set of words, actually. A keystone habit is from Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit. 
And he argues in there that if we can find points in our life that have leverage and we make a change in that area of our life because it has leverage, it will affect everything that goes on in our lives. And what I'm here to tell you today is your spiritual life and having that be organized, if you want to call it that, that's a keystone habit. And so we're going to dive into the story of a man named Abraham. And, and here's why we chose Abraham. Abraham's an interesting character because Paul, in the book of Galatians, calls him the man, can anybody finish this? The man of faith. Sort of like Paul saying, this guy in the Old Testament is the quintessential example of what faith in God looks like. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, this is a whole chapter talking about great people of faith in the Old Testament. Abraham gets more real estate in that chapter, more verses devoted to him than any other person in there. And there's some other great men and women of faith in there. But Abraham gets the most real estate. So I think it's worthwhile to look at why Paul would call him the man of faith and see how he learned to be that man of faith. And we're, we're going we're to talk about this under the theme of getting your life in order. So your first fill-in is this. Perpetually on the top of the New Year's resolution list is getting organized. But where should we start? And I think I just answered that. Let's start with our faith life. And here we are. We're going to dive into this story of Abraham. This is a little bit later on in his life. God has made a promise to Abraham that his, he would have a son, and through that son, his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. And if you want to see the, the beginning all of all that promise, you, you can go back to Genesis chapter 12. That's 10 chapters earlier. And see God make that promise, call him out of Ur of the Chaldees, allow him to, to settle for a while in a little uh, town called Haran, and then eventually into the promised land. Do you know how many years between the promise that Abraham would have a child, a son, and then through that son, his descendants would be as many as the sand on the seashore. And, and by the way, there's one more important thing about this promise. God says to Abraham, through your seed, through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. This was God's way of saying, one of those offspring will be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And through him, everyone's going to be blessed. Now we know who that ends up being, and he was a son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And we are all, and all nations are blessed because of the cross and the empty tomb and forgiveness, and as we talked about in baptism, new life and eternal salvation. So God fulfilled all of that, but imagine yourself being Abraham, and you've been given this immense and amazing promise. And then you wait. And you wait some more. Did I answer the question yet about how many years between the promise of a son and 
the arrival of the sun? Anybody look it up in their study Bibles yet? Not quite that long, 25 years. 25 years, but I appreciate that you're, you're guessing, you're helping me. 25 years? You are told by God himself, you will have a son. And year five goes by and year 10 goes by. Do any of you ever get tired of waiting after about 30 seconds? Because I do. Abraham waited 25 years. In fact, he got so tired of waiting and so filled with doubt that he began to think, I got to do something about this. And that led to the story, which I don't have time to get into, of Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. Because Abraham thought, I better step up. I've got to handle this. Like God made a promise, but he's not, he's not doing anything about it. And I need an heir. So Isaac's older brother Ishmael was born, but he was not the promised child. So Abraham waits and he waits some more. And then finally, after 25 years, Sarah, 90 years old, too, certainly too old to give birth to a child, Abraham, 100. Now we, we talk about high-risk pregnancies now, Oh my goodness. But Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And he is the promised one. The one through whom Abraham and Sarah will have descendants as many as the stars in the sand. The one through whom the Messiah will one day arrive. And then one day God comes and says this. Genesis 22. Let's take a look. You might be shocked. Because it is shocking. Let me just put that out there. It's shocking. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Circle that word, test, tested. He tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom I love, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So I want you to also underline your only son whom you love. Twenty-five years, Abraham waits for fulfillment of the promise to have a son. And then we don't know exactly how many years later. Isaac was probably no younger than 14 or 15, but he could have been as old as in his early 30s at this point because we, we just really don't know. Probably the biggest hint is that he carries the wood later up the mountain, Mount Moriah, for Abraham. So he probably wasn't a dinky little kid, maybe a late teenage, early 20s, be my best guess, but we don't know. He's waited 25 years. He's gotten time to just fall in love with this child. And now God says, 
I'm going to ask you to do something unbelievable. And, and this was unbelievable. To us, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable in other ways, too. So, for example, the people of God didn't practice human sacrifice. All, all the people all the people around Abraham did, but, but not the people of God. So what, what's God playing at here? What Abraham has got to be asking himself, wait a minute, and, and if, let's just pick, Isaac is 20 years old, Abraham is now 120, and Sarah is 110, and he's got to be thinking if the first one was a miracle, what's this one going to be? How, how is God going to do this? Now, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, that that chapter I mentioned earlier gives us a hint because it tells us there in the New Testament that Abraham reasoned to himself that if God allowed him to follow through with this act of sacrificing his son, God would raise him from the dead because he truly believed God that this was the designated heir and the forerunner of the Messiah. He, he's, Abraham, the book of Hebrews tells us, said to himself, and I think this is the only way he could do this, if God takes him, God will give him back. Sounds a little bit like Job, doesn't it? Job, when all of his children are taken, he says, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Another man of faith. You know what we learn from this? We learn that Abraham's faith life was organized with one person at the center. And as much as he loves Isaac, and it says right there, this is his only son whom he loves. Abraham gets it. God God is testing here. God is seeing if He is still the heart and the core and the center of my life. And he didn't know exactly how this was going to play out, but why is Abraham called the man of faith? Because he's thinking to himself, according to the book of Hebrews, he's thinking to himself, even if God takes him, he'll give him back. Because he loves me, because he promised this, And because he has a plan for my future and a future for the world, and that is a gracious and loving plan. That's what Abraham thought. And so, because he thought and believed that with all of his heart, we're going to see what comes next. Abraham, here's what I want you to write down. Abraham, first of all, understood what life is. If you're going to organize your life, understand what life itself is. So write these words down. Life is a a test... Life is a trust, and life is a temporary assignment. You see, Abraham's learning all of this right here. A test, a trust, and a temporary assignment. Abraham knew that God sometimes tests us so that our faith in God can grow stronger. Our our faith in God's promises grows through the means of grace, as we listen to God's word, as we utilize the sacraments. But then God comes along 
And he says, now I've fed you with the gospel, with the good news of my love. Do you really believe it? And he allows events in our lives to test whether we're going to organize our lives around him. The very first commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Abraham's being tested. Abraham also understood that life is a trust, meaning there's nothing that we have that wasn't given us in the first place from God. That's, that's what Job says. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Abraham is doing here. He's saying, you know what? My life is a gift from God. It's something that God has entrusted to me. That's why we call it a trust. Isaac's life has been entrusted to me as his father. And so I have to treat everything in my life as, as if I'm not the owner, God is. And then finally, it's a temporary assignment. Th think about this. When Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus and came back to life, did he stay alive here forever? No, even that was temporary. As miraculous as it was, all of our lives are temporary. Check out some verses here. I'm going to put up some extra verses. They're not, they're not in your program, but, but check these out. We'll get them up in just a second. No temptation, that word can also be translated test. No test has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tested or tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Will he do that for Abraham? We'll see in just a moment. Let's go to the next passage. The earth is the Lord's. Life is a trust. Everything that we have is a trust. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Would Abraham believe that even his son Isaac belongs to God and that God should have the say over what happens to him? Next one. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. The psalmist says, let me know how short this life is so that I can understand life. And I, and I want to ask you, do you understand life or do you have unrealistic expectations about what life is meant to be? So often in our culture and in this country, we have these ridiculous assumptions about what life is and what it's meant to be. And you will never have your life organized or get your life in order if your heart is not understanding that life is a test and there are going to be difficult tests. Life is a trust and everything belongs to God. And life is short. It's fleeting, like the verse says. It's a temporary assignment. Let's go on in the story of Abraham. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up 
and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. Will you underline those words? Because this tells us something else about Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham understood what life is, a test, a trust, a temporary assignment. Now this shows Abraham understood what the key purpose of life is, what the key purpose of life is. We will worship. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now it is thousands of years later when Paul writes... God will not give you a test, but he will provide you a way out. He will not give you a test that's too much for you, but he will provide a way out. But Abraham knows. The man of faith knows. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. That is incredible. Abraham is about to take the thing I think that he loves most in life. And that's why God has set up this test. God is testing. I know you love your son most in this world and in this life, but do you love me more? Will you obey? And I I realize for us this is so counterintuitive. In Old Testament times, realize that God explains over and over again that the oldest son is his. You, You find that throughout the Old Testament. When you have a child, the oldest will be mine. And and, and we see that play out. You could redeem the life of that son, not by sacrificing him, but by sacrificing an animal in his place. You could redeem, if you were a Levite, the life of that son by serving in his place. So this may have not been quite as strange as it sounds to us, but it's still got to be a huge, huge test. And I think the only reason Abraham can take that knife and raise it like this is because his life is organized around love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. No matter what, God comes first. I'm going to fear him more than anything else. I'm going to love him more than anything else. I'm going to trust him more than anything else. Now, that would be a great organizing principle for your life. If you're going to organize your life, you need to organize it around one thing. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're a long-term Christian, I'm going to tell you something surprising right now. What I just said, the first commandment, that's not the organizing principle of a Christian's life? Because we have to ask another question. Yes, Abraham is putting God first. Yes, he's being obedient to the first commandment. But let's ask this. How did he get there? 
How did he get there? And I'm going to tell you that that tells us what the organizing principle is of our Christian life. And it's not law, which is what love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is. Abraham's organizing principle was pure gospel. Abraham's organizing principle was, my God loves me. He will provide for me. I am his dearly loved child, bought by the blood of the Messiah that he has promised, who will one day be sacrificed on a cross for me, and God will give him back in the resurrection. Can I, can I tell you that I think this is a big mistake that even a lot of Christians make? That they, they, they see God as his primary, God is primarily a rule giver. And if you see God primarily as a rule giver and a guy who pounds his fist and points his finger at you and says, you better do this, otherwise you'll never get your life organized, it'll never be in order, then you're naturally going to think, I better study those commandments, and not just the first, but the second, the third, and all the way down to number 10, and I better organize my life around those. And I'm going to tell you that if, as a Christian, you have made the commandments and the law your organizing principle for life, you miss everything. And you'll be thinking, I'm doing great because God is at the center of my life. I work hard to obey him. But there was another group of people who thought God is at the very center of their lives. And they made it all about the law. And do you know what we call them? Anybody want to guess? Pharisees. And who does Jesus reserve his greatest Anger for Pharisees. And why? Not because they thought, I don't love God. They thought, I love God passionately. But because the organizing principle of their lives was the law. Abraham is walking up that mountain and he is taking that knife and raising it only because of one thing. And he tells Isaac what that one thing is. Isaac, the Lord will provide. Don't worry. We're going to do this. I don't know how he's going to provide, but I do know his love. I do know his promised intention to send the world a savior. I do know that he gave you in love to me first. I know that. And every time, Isaac, that I have tried to handle things myself and do it myself and organize my life around legalities and to-do lists, I've failed miserably. The only way I've learned to put God first and order my loves, God first. And then Sarah and Isaac and others after that, the only way is by dwelling on and organizing my entire life around God's love and provision. Write this down. We get our life in order when we grasp life's 
purposes. So we do need to understand God wants to be first, but wait till you hear the next point. Life's primary purpose is worshiping God, and that's what Abraham is going to do. But the why is important here. He's not going to worship him because he thinks he can somehow earn God's pleasure. He knows that he already lives in God's pleasure because of God's continuous love. During those 25 years, a long time, admittedly, Abraham was learning this over and over and over again. Trust me, Abraham, I will provide for you. I love you. You're my child. And all of that, by the way, Abraham, not because of anything you do or because you've earned it or because you deserve it. No, Abraham, you're as sinful as the next guy. The apostle Paul says, I'm more sinful than anybody else. And God loved him. All of this because of a beautiful thing called grace. And you have to see that grace, Abraham. And so God takes 25 long years to show him that grace. If Abraham lived today, he might say, I was blind. But over those 25 years, I now see. Let's go on. Now the payoff. Abraham's faith itself is a, a gift of God, and, and, and that's something important to remember, too. We can't trust God without the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, but let's look and see what happens next. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Here's Abraham's hand with that knife in it raised over his son Isaac. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Angel of the Lord is Old Testament code language for Jesus, by the way, the Savior, in case you didn't know that. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. That's just good advice to live by. Don't do anything. Let God do it for you. Now I know that you fear God. You're going to fear and trust and obey me above all things, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Let's pause there for just a second. Are there things in your life that are getting in the way of you seeing God's love? And by things, I mean sins. Do you perhaps need to have a look at those commandments and ask yourself, what do I need to repent of in this new year? And and maybe, number one, if we're going to organize our lives around the love of God, it's just repenting and rethinking that. Do I need to remember that as a Christian, the most important thing is God's love for me? But as you walk through those commandments, ask yourself, is there something else that's hindering me, blinding me from seeing how powerfully God loves me and how much he promises to provide for me. You have not withheld from me. What is it for you? For Abraham, it was Isaac. You have not withheld from me Your worship, your time, your sexual life, 
You have not withheld from me friendships or certain relationships that are standing in the way of your relationship with God. What is it for you that maybe you need to say, that's got to get sacrificed in 2019? Is it money? Mammon, Jesus says, mammon, money, gets in the way of many people's relationships with me. What is it that you need to say, I'm prepared not to withhold this from God so that he can truly be first, and I fear and I love and I, I trust him more than anything else. Let's, let's go on. Now I know that you fear God. You respect me, you believe me, you trust me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. God will never give us a temptation that he won't provide a way out of. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, underline these words, the Lord will provide. Man, if you leave here today with four words on your mind, I hope it's this, God, God loves me and the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I don't know how you can look at this story and see the amazing thing God has provided for you. Now, I've been talking maybe a little bit as if you're Abraham in this story. Can I do something to shift that a little bit? Because in reality, in this story, you know who I am and you are? Isaac. We're Isaac. We're Isaac because the sacrifice for our sins before God, for all those commandments that we disobey, that should be coming from us. We should pay the price for that. But God says, caught over there in some thorns. Does that remind you of anything? In some thorns. You'll find a ram for the sacrifice. Caught over there with a crown of thorns on his head is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the entire world, the one who lays himself on the altar, on the cross, to be sacrificed for you and for me so that we can step off that altar of sacrifice and not have to die for our sins because the Lord will provide and the Lord has provided. Abraham somehow, he says, even even if I do sacrifice my son, God will resurrect him and bring him back. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. Jesus bled and died for our sins so that we could be forgiven of them. Listen, you are forgiven. The Lord provided that forgiveness. You are loved. Jesus demonstrated that love in everything that he did. And if you come to this story in any other way, you're going to begin to think, well, I I have to be strong like Abraham. I want you to see that you're Isaac. 
Because what that tells you is, I simply need to rest in God's love for me. Write this down. We get our life in order. This is how you order your life. You order it around the love of God and the gospel message. Get our life in order when we understand who the Lord of life is. So understand what life is, a test, a trust, a temporary assignment. Then understand what the key chief purpose of life is to respond to God's first love through worship above all else. And now he says... Here's the biggest organizing principle of your life if you want to get your life in order. Understand who God is. God is love. And what he demands, he delivers, and where he guides, he provides. Do you believe that? Isn't that interesting? God demands a sacrifice for our sins. He demands that. And then he says, you know what? I'll I'll deliver that to you. And, and he has guided us through a beautiful life on this earth. And every day we can wake up and go, you know what I know beyond all doubt today? God's going to provide for me because he loves me, because I'm his child. Take a look at this final verse. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. This is what God says. This is now Isaiah, many, many years later. And this is to show you that you can read throughout the entire Bible that this message that God loves you and God will provide for you is the organizing principle of your life. God's forgiveness in Christ, God's grace in showing that he will help you through life by the power of the Holy Spirit and change everything about your life. You you want your life to change? By the power of the Holy Spirit, it can change. Because the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like what? Say those words out loud. You will be like what? A well-watered garden. One, one of, the, resu- one of the, the, big, the, the big resolutions of the new year is right after get my life in order is have my life just be nicer. Have my life be better. Look at this. You want your life to be better? Organize your heart, your mind, and your life around the love of God, the gospel around Jesus and his sacrifice for you, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. What a promise. What a promise. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You're going to make everything around you better. Not just are you going to get better, but everything around you gets better. When we organize our lives around Jesus and his love, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. All right, let's do the last fill-in. We get our life in order when we live by faith, not by sight. So when we trust that this is who God is, 
And again, that trust is in itself a gift from God by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we live the way Abraham did, the way Isaiah is talking about here, when we live the way Paul did, with God's love at the very heart and core of everything we are and do, that is going to cause us to live by faith and not by sight. So take a look at your memory verse. And I, I take these words with you. This is those four words. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And then if you want to get your life in order, it's pretty simple, really. With God's help, it's completely possible. With the Holy Spirit living inside your heart and mind, trust God's faithful love and promises. And then start getting your life in order by ordering your love and putting God first. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you so much for sending your son to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that now you, you show us that when we, like Abraham, organize our life by thinking first and foremost all the time, the Lord will provide that all of a sudden that makes a huge difference. And not just a huge difference for ourselves, but for everything and everyone around us. Lord, we want to put our lives in order, but we, we learn from Abraham today that we better not mess with ordering our lives ourselves without seeking you and asking for your grace and your love and most of all, your help and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we do here. Help us to organize our hearts and our minds and our entire lives, knowing that you love us and you will provide for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Life's number one purpose, and I hope you go home understanding this, is to elevate God in your life, in your heart, in your mind, to magnify Him, to worship Him. But even more important than that is to understand why. Why is because the organizing principle of your heart and mind and life is you know God's love. You know he will provide as he provided a, a savior for you. So as you enter this new year and as you think about the purposes God has for your life, number one being worship, I want you to go home today with those four words of love in your heart. The Lord will provide as he provided for Abraham, a savior and many other things he has and will continue to provide for you. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you back next week for the next installment of Start. Start.